Hello and welcome back to the Privacy in Public podcast. In this episode, which is the last one in our season, we'll be looking at some of the really tricky issues to do with APP11, which is all about protection of personal information. And I'm really excited that joining us today, we have Senior Associate Indy Prickett and lawyer Emily Reid, who both work in my team here in Canberra and absolutely love APP11. Isn't that right? Yeah, that's right, Catherine. I think for me personally, APP11 would definitely be my favourite APP. And that's because it provides (laughs) um, a number of practical safeguards for ensuring that personal information is appropriately protected. Um, And that is so that the information is protected from misuse, interference and loss and from unauthorised access, modification or disclosure. What about you, Emily? Is APP also your favourite APP and why? Yes, Catherine, it is actually my favourite APP. (laughs) So as of 2017, the world's most valuable resource is no longer oil, but it's data. And the gold standard of valuable data is personal data. So it's important that when you're entrusted by a person to hold their personal information, you consider the ways in which you can protect it and prevent it from being inadvertently accessed, interfered or lost. Would you like to tell our our listeners what APP11 actually says? So APP11 um, actually comprises of sort of two different tests with which you need to comply. So the first is under APP 11.1 and that provides, as I said before, that an APP entity that holds personal information has to take reasonable steps to protect the information it holds from misuse, interference and loss, as well as from unauthorised access, modification or disclosure. So that's the first limb um, of APP 11 which applies to all APP entities. And then APP 11.2 Two provides that an APP entity must take reasonable steps to destroy or de-identify personal information it holds once that personal information is no longer needed for anything. However, um, although this APP 11.2 does apply to all APP entities, it generally doesn't apply to Commonwealth entities. And that's because where the personal information is contained in a Commonwealth record, for example, um, it's not necessary to take steps to destroy or de-identify the information as it's already covered by things like archives legislation. How about you tell us about some of the biggest sort of traps you faced when when you're working with your Commonwealth clients um, and they're thinking about their obligations under APP 11? Believe it or not, sometimes it's uh, not actually clear who holds the data. So one APP entity may collect the data but transfer it directly to another APP entity without actually holding it. And this then gets tricky if there's a data breach. Emily raises a really interesting point. We would have talked about this in the APP6 podcast, which hopefully you've had a chance to listen to, Um, but an entity is only taken to hold personal information if the entity has possession or control of a record that contains the information. And um, as we did discuss in that podcast, the term holds for the purposes of the Privacy Act and the APPs does extend beyond the physical possession of a record to include a record that an APP entity has the right or power to deal with. So, for example, as we discussed um, in the previous podcast, an entity that outsources the storage of personal information to, for example, a third-party ICT provider but retains the right to deal with that information such that they have effective control over it is considered to hold that personal information and therefore must comply with their APP 11 obligations. Right, and and what we always recommend in those instances is that there is a clear and concise um, contractual framework for how data information is handled, controlled and ultimately held. Yeah, so it's not always completely black and white, you're saying. 
Yeah, that's right. So let's say that our listeners are confident that their agency is actually now holding personal information. So what does the agency need to do to make sure that it is compliant with APP 11? So I'm glad you asked this, Catherine, because this is actually the exciting bit of APP 11. Um, <laughs> so this is the, where we get to the, the technical mechanisms um, that can be put in place to ensure that APP entities and their staff comply with APP 11. And it's really particularly important that entities are complying with APP 11 as the risk of breaching APP 3 or APP 6, which relate to the unauthorised sort of collection, use or disclosure of information are greatly reduced. Uh, and also, obviously, compliance with the requirement to secure personal information uh, as set out in APP 11 is key to minimising the risk of a data breach. Uh, and I think we all know that if a data breach happens, um, they can have pretty devastating consequences for those involved and can have serious long-term ramifications for, I guess, the reputation of an agency. So as I noted earlier, APP 11 um, requires an APP entity to take a number of steps to ensure essentially that the information is protected. So reasonableness, the old chestnut that is unfortunately not defined in the <laughs> Privacy Act, but lawyers do love to talk about it, is really um, a key element of this. So the APP guidelines say that, you know, you do need to take reasonable steps, but the term reasonable bears its ordinary meaning as being based upon or according to reason and capable of sound explanation. And they also go on to say that what is reasonable can be influenced by current standards and practices. However, I think as many others will have found, it's pretty hard to see or decide what is reasonable, even given the description that's in the APP guidelines. So I think a lot of it comes down to, to the pub test. Would a reasonable person on the street think that the APP entity has taken reasonable steps to protect the information it holds? So in terms of actual examples of reasonable steps that entities might wish to take, it's things just as, well, maybe as simple as things like ensuring that your ICT systems comply with the information security manual and the protective security policy framework and ensuring that you've got appropriate access provisions in place so that only the staff that actually have a need to access particular information have access to it and also that those staff that do access personal information are given appropriate privacy training and are also bound by terms of use that require them to only use the personal information in a particular way and for the purposes of their role. Um, but of course, those are just two simple examples of a wide range of mechanisms that can be implemented to ensure compliance with APP 11. There are really important steps and procedures that should be put in place to ensure that uh, personal information is protected. And put simply, the six terms listed in APP 11, so that's misuse, interference, loss, unauthorised access, unauthorised modification and unauthorised disclosure, are not actually defined in the Privacy Act. So when thinking about security of personal information, the OAIC requires you to consider and implement the following. So that includes appropriate governance training, as Indy was talking about, and ensuring that there is a strong culture of privacy within your workforce. ICT security, again, um, Indy mentioned that before, so that's examining the vulnerabilities that agencies may face when people are accessing the ICT systems. Access security, ensuring that personal information is only accessed by authorised persons. Data breaches, it's really important that you ensure that there is a plan in place for when and if a data breach actually happens. And also physical security. And so agencies should be thinking about ensuring that there is the same level of physical security of that personal information that they hold. So what you're saying, Emily and, and Indy, is really that it's a multi-pronged approach, that there's no one sort of silver bullet that you can say, yep, ticked off APP 11. It's um, a really creative 
space, I think, to work in, in terms of considering compliance with APPs, because APP 11 does require agencies to consider the full spectrum of processes that they have in place to keep both physical and soft copies of personal information secure. Um, and it is obviously where we often see a, a lot of issues because there are serious ramifications, as I think I discussed earlier, in terms of data breaches. Why don't we exp- explore that a little bit more? So what, what happens if something goes wrong? Yeah, of course. So I thought I'd start by um, just giving an overview to our listeners of what a, a data breach actually is for the purposes of the Privacy Act. A data breach occurs where personal information has been accessed or disclosed without authority. So, for example, it, it might have been lost, stolen, it could have been human error, it could have been a malicious act to gain access to information. They're all considered to be data breaches for the purposes of the Act. And obviously, these data breaches, as I said earlier, can negatively impact upon an entity's reputation, particularly given the community has an expectation that the government will handle its, their personal information in a particular way. So, as shown in the OAIC's um, long-running National Community Attitudes to Privacy Survey, if an entity is perceived to be handling personal information contrary to community expectations, individuals may seek out alternative products and services. Um, But it's really important to note that there are sort of two types of data breaches. So there are those data breaches that occur are simple data breaches, but some of these also cross the threshold into potentially being what's called an eligible data breach for the purposes of the Privacy Act. So what do you do, Indy, if if either of these things happen? Yeah, of course. So it's um, a lot of it is about um, an entity's risk planning and things like that. So when a data breach does happen, it's really important that an entity consults their data breach response plan, which they are now required to have in accordance with the Notifiable Data Breaches Scheme, which has been established by the Privacy Act. And entities need to look at their data breach response plan and consider whether the breach is of such a nature that it might be necessary to consider whether it is an eligible data breach for the purposes of the the Notifiable Data Breach Scheme. So an eligible data breach occurs when a number of criteria So there must have been unauthorised access to or disclosure of personal information held by an entity or information may be lost in circumstances where unauthorised access or disclosure is likely to occur or have occurred. And the unauthorised access or disclosure must be likely to result in serious harm to any of the individuals to whom the information relates. And finally, the entity must have been unable to prevent the likely risk of serious harm through taking remedial action. And that's why it's so important that entities conduct a thorough and prompt investigation if they suspect that an eligible data breach has occurred. Uh, And that's particularly because there are very strict timeframes within which to conduct those investigations and notify the OAIC and any other affected parties. Just getting back, though, to APP11, I guess the whole premise of APP11 is that if you are able to take enough reasonable steps, hopefully the likelihood of an eligible data breach occurring will be reduced. Does that sound right? That that is right. So I really, um, the data breach things are, if, if everything has gone terribly wrong at some point or even if there's just been a simple human error um, you do get to that stage but I think it's really important um, before we finish just to note that we often see that entities do take all reasonable steps to comply with their obligations under APP 11 and data breaches still do happen sometimes you can do everything possible and the worst case scenario is still unfortunately come true but if you have a well-drafted and thorough data breach response plan that you've also practiced so you know exactly what to do um, that will get you a lot of the way in terms of complying with your obligations under the Privacy Act. Well, thanks, Indy and Emily. It's it's clear that you obviously do love APP 11. After all, you weren't just saying that. <laughs> Hello, and welcome back to the Privacy in Public podcast. 
In this episode, which is the last one in our season, we'll be looking at some of the really tricky issues to do with APP11, which is all about protection of personal information. 